When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, We've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the chumba life. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Oh, here we go. Go ahead now. Hopefully our friends are about to join for the latest installment. Here he is. Hooray. I love this little bit where it's like, I'm always like, Hopefully, someone's going to enjoy. <laughs> Will my sound here? work? Yeah. It's also because, Hello. Um, yeah, is my am I on a bit of delay? I'm up to move rooms. Um, I don't know. Yeah, it's giving me the Wi-Fi signal. I'm going to move rooms. Okay. The fun Sorry. technical issues of modern day recording. Oh, it's so frustrating. Like every house I go in, like the comfortable chair seems to be quite a long way away from the Wi-Fi box. Basically, it's all chair. going wrong. Are you going to be taking over your housemate's room again this week? No, I've actually, I was saying to uh, Calvin earlier, I am currently in my sister's flat in Edinburgh. She lives in Oban, but she's got a flat in Edinburgh. And uh-huh. I'm in the process of writing a book. So I have locked myself basically in sort of literary isolation. So that I do oh, crack it. Don't go what, to the pub. what book are you writing about? Or is that um, top secret? Well, if I'm going to plug it, why not? Um, I am writing the first English language biography of Max Verstappen. Cool. Yeah, it is cool. Is he, is he involved May... at all? No, it's unauthorised, but, uh, you know, that means it's more real in some ways. Um, sure. comes out May the 6th, 2021. You can pre-order it on all good bookshops at the moment. Amazon, Waterstones, uh, Verstappen, A Racing Prodigy, I believe the title currently is. Um, fourteen ninety nine. great. Maybe Christmas present next year or for that, summer birthdays. That sounds like you've already written a lot of it. <laughs> I certainly haven't, George, but, you know, if more people pre-order it... You, so you've already, picked, you've already picked a price and you haven't even written the bloody thing. Well, you know... How do you know it's worth that? <laughs> <laughs> that's like me being like, oh, yeah, I'm, uh, I'm going to grow some apples this year. We're going gam- to set the price before they're rotten or not. Yeah, but, like, no, that's absurd. Like, you wouldn't grow apples unless you knew how much you were going to sell them for in the first place. Yeah, but it, yeah, I'm no, just saying... I have no, I have no ability to uh, to edit anything off the podcast. So this was this is all going 
you're listening to this on iTunes, and it's not usually all this sort of nonsense talking about what I'm doing during the week. Um, but we are just trying to get Calvin, the third wheel, um, although usually I'm the third wheel, to be fair, onto the call. We're on an app called Locker Room, uh, which we understand is launching soon. You'll be able to access... I, When I've tried to describe it to people, it's kind of like Twitter, but audio. And it seems less angry, to be fair. Like a less angry yeah. version of Twitter that you can talk to people on seems to be I, the best way to describe it. Yeah, I call it like social media radio. <laughs> social media radio, very good, yeah, okay. That's yeah. um, my, my description. I don't know what is going on with with uh, Calvin. Oh, he's saying I need to invite him again. Can he not just find the room? Uh, I don't know. Is it Sunday yeah, I don't know how to do this. We've a good plug for the app and then a demonstration that we're really struggling using it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh, there's an invite button. Here we go. I found the invite button. It was very obviously located and does say invite. So yes, it's hopefully... idiot that George likes to test things. I know. I yeah. It, they 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 got me on board because they wanted to see how idiotic you had to be to <laughs> use this app. And uh, well, even I can make on, it work. If you are listening back, not live on iTunes or on Spotify, by the way, please leave us a review or a rating. Um, we have one policy with reviews, which is only send us nice ones. Um, if you've got a bad review. You go to at George Belshaw on Twitter. You can just DM him, <laughs> and then um, he'll get that. And yeah, my it. my DMs are open. That is where most of the abuse <laughs> flies these days. Although I do get some public abuse too. <laughs> yeah, I don't get so much DM. People people are shy about. It. I used to get some cracking stuff. Oh, hello. Here I am. Hi. It just updated. Like the app just updated out of nowhere. Ah. Uh, so, well, we can't really blame the app for that then, just it needed an update. Yeah. That was... Yeah, yeah. tow the party line, yeah? Your fault, yeah. use it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> that's it, yeah. Oh, well, it only took us five minutes to, to get to the first bit about tennis, but I guess um, we, here we, sh- we should go. <laughs> unfortunately, because I've been on a train to Edinburgh, I didn't bring my... I, had to, I could either bring my guitar or my bike, and I went with my bike, forgetting that Edinburgh is the hilliest city in the world. So you'll just have to imagine... The theme tune. This is the love tennis. Dumba 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 Initially, I thought it'd be good to start off with Andy Murray. As you said, George, when we were kind of discussing this, it's been a bit of a funny in-between week. Um, a few different events going on. Cologne won, as it's been imaginatively named. Um, but the sort of big news line from the week was that Andy Murray um, has picked up another injury. Uh, as far as I understand it, it's a pelvic injury, George. Maybe you can give us a little bit more, but not too much detail on that. Yeah, it's more lower back, I think but oh, right. with general links to kind of the <laughs> pelvic area. Um, I mean, <clears throat> it's interesting because I think a lot of people have been kind of analysing Murray's game at the minute, uh, as we have in our little WhatsApp chat. Yeah. And me and Calvin have both been saying, we don't, 
okay, he's not been playing well, but it seemed more kind of loss of confidence and form. But the serve is particularly bad and weird at the moment. And I do wonder whether a lower back injury probably could be quite a big explanation of perhaps some limitation on that shot. Um, His season's not definitely over. Uh, They did tentatively say he is still trying for Vienna, but that was sent with a lot of caution of like, probably not going to happen. And they are aiming for Paris, which would be the last event he could play before the season's shut down. Um, But this could be the end of his season again. Uh, Calvin, George mentions a kind of technical point there that a lower back or pelvic injury would maybe hinder a serve. Does that does that check out from a technical? Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, probably. I mean, sort of biomechanically, it would hinder the second serve more. You tend to use your lower back more on your second serve than your first serve. Um, be, be purely because of the, the the extra bend, you bend your back more, and you're going to drive the legs up into the back more. Mm. But um, but yeah, in, look on any service, you've got some back problems. The serve, it's going to affect the serve. Um, mm. So yeah, hopefully it's um, hopefully it's a niggle. It does sort of worry me a little bit that it's it's close to his, you know, sort of just where it is on his body is close to where his serious injury is I, I don't know whether it's linked or not I would suggest I mean I would imagine and you know I don't like to be an armchair doctor about it but why not um, you know the hip is one of those things that does kind of connect to lower back and pelvis and you know it's one of those core injuries that almost everything is connected George yeah I, I think it's also worth saying that um, I think this was potentially the issue he was having before the US as well he was mm. talking about having a few kind of back problems. Um, so it, it could be something that's just been bothering him for a few months. He's been trying to play with and now kind of decided it's got to the point where it, it was hindering him so much. And, and, and that probably does make sense if you look at his US timeline. You know, even against Zverev, actually in that second and third sets, his serving wasn't particularly great. He wasn't serving amazingly well, even against Nishioka. It was better. But if you actually follow the trend from that point, that, that does suggest that it's just been something that's getting been getting gradually, gradually worse and now comes to a point where it's like, yeah, we need to rest this properly. Mm. It's, it's interesting. I, I was sort of mentioning to my girlfriend that we were going to be talking about Andy Murray being injured again tonight. And she said, oh, is that it for him? And I said, well, no, because the one thing we know about Andy Murray, I think I wrote it last week, is that every time, you know, he's like Tinkerbell, every, every time someone says, is Andy Murray retiring, he stays on for another month. Um, he's so determined and you know I think the resurface documentary is a great example of it you can see exactly how much it means to him to be playing tennis I I know it'll be seen as a setback and nothing more serious but equally I do feel like this is now a stage where every setback brings that possibility up every I mean and it must happen every time they have a team meeting and they go okay we're probably gonna have to take some time off it must be in everyone's heads going is this the one yeah. that just ends us? I thought what was interesting, though, is that with Andy, everything he says, he's very honest and everything he says, he, he says it with purpose. And he did say that he, he hopes to be, he'll be in Cologne next year. So whether, whether there's much to read into that, it, it sort of suggests that he's planning another year at least. Mm. Um, and, it, and it didn't sound within that like he was overly concerned with it. 
Mm. Which is very positive indeed. Um, as you mentioned, George Vienna, he's targeting. Um, that's what uh, it's only a week away, so it's kind of typically optimistic, isn't it? That, that was yeah. I mean, that's more his his team not wanting to rule it out rather than like a he's going to play Vienna. It, 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 you know, it was Vienna brackets looking pretty unlikely, and then right, okay. Paris brackets hopefully so uh, you know the thing I, is he I, said I it, it, wouldn't say it. he said it was tendonitis and if it's tendonitis I'd, that, that, that'd be a new one getting it going after a week because mm. famously the only way to resolve tendonitis is rest there's yeah. not really any tr- any treatment that you can have for it mm. in wherever it is in your body so mm. but um, if this is the end of his season um and i know this is quite difficult to quantify because of covid and everything how would we characterise 2020 for Andy Murray? Uh, net net gain? I mean, it's been a bit of a disaster, hasn't it, really? I mean, not in, as much of a disaster as you can call an Andy Murray season, but I mean, a lot of it's been out of his control. But missing Australia at the start of the year, um, getting just about ready to play in Miami, and then for the season to be called off. I mean, he, he's had a bit of bad luck with timing there. And then, I mean, he still had a top 10 win. A lot of players wouldn't be able to say that in a normal season. So when you're kind of comparing it to other people around his ranking at the moment, from that perspective, it's not so bad. But it's just not got going, has it really? Um, mm-hmm. Every kind of moment's felt like a stop-start, you know, something to be mildly optimistic about. But there's probably been a case of one step forward, three step back, no step times this year I'd say it's starting to feel like a long time since Andy Murray was just something we didn't have to worry about in terms of injury like I've always worried about in terms of injury because much as he was one of the fittest and fastest blokes on tour at one point he never looks like it he never (laughs) looked I don't know why he just never looks like a natural mover and so in the somewhere in my head either at the front or the back I've always been concerned about him but I feel like at the moment, the question isn't, is Andy Murray going to miss it? It's like, is he actually going to play? Um, and that, that feels like a, a poor state of affairs. Um, he was playing in Cologne um, and he was beaten by Vadasco in straight sets. Um, I think, Calvin, you said it was basically a, a pretty bad matchup for him overall, wasn't it? Yeah, I think, he, I think that's something else that we've got to take into account with this sort of run of form that he's... In terms of matchups, he's not had much luck of, of the type of player that, in his circumstance, looking to ease his way back in um, yeah. and and sort of be able to get on the attack a bit more and dominate the points. He, he's not had much luck in terms of that since since the sort of since he played Nishioka really at the U.S. Open. He's had Felix, who, who's definitely one of the more aggressive players, uh, and played out of his skin in that match. And then he had Stan, uh, who's we know what Stan how Stan plays. And now he's had Vadasco, which I think he'll be gutted about this one this week because his draw was actually not bad mm. in, in, in terms of matchups uh, who he could have because he had, um, what was it? Was it Qualifier or I think was, that he was going to play? I think it was Zverev next, actually. No, Schwartzman next, wasn't it? No, oh, I mean, mean. Oh, sorry. This, oh, this week. week. Yeah, sorry, the one that he's just sorry. pulled out of. Sorry, yeah, the one that he's just yeah, pulled yeah, out yeah, of. Yeah, yeah, you're right. You're right. Yeah, yeah Cologne, 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 Schwartzman. Two. The yeah. yeah, sorry. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're right. It was qualifier then. So I think okay. if 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 he was fully fit and he's in his way back in, I think he'd quite fancy a bit of 
Diego Schwartzman on an indoor hard court um, yeah. to give him, you know, that would then give him the couple of wins that, that he'd want um, against that type of player. Yeah. Difficult situation, but there was still plenty of tennis um, in Cologne. Alexander Zverev mentioned there he won the title, beat Felix Alga Aliassime in straight set. And this has kind of been, well, it's becoming a pattern. Uh, Felix Algaralasim has now reached six tour level finals. He's lost all six, and he's. Am I right in that saying that, George? Uh, yeah. You're making a face like I'm not. I, I thought you were going to do the fun game. Can we guess the six players he's lost to in finals? George, that's exactly the fun game we're going to do. It's that's why I was smiling. I knew what was coming. Um, <laughs> yeah, so he's had six. Uh, obviously, Zverev um, is the most recent one. Uh, can anyone yeah. name any of the other five? No. Laz- Laszlo Gier is one. La- Laszlo Gier, the Serbian. That was his first uh, one. I think was that was in Rio? Uh, I can't actually remember. Rio, I, Buenos Aires. I think it was Rio. Because he, he would have been like the first player or the youngest player to win their first tournament as an ATP 500 or something. There yeah. was something around that that was interesting. Then he lost to Laszlo Gier, who at that, who at that stage was kind of a complete nobody. And I think he went up to the top 30 or near that after that match. Um, well, so he, he was actually ranked 104 in the world. Like, in terms of, you know, finals, your first final, it was sort of a perfect opponent. Like, you know, you couldn't have really wished for a better one. Um, yeah. Can you name yeah. any others, George? <sighs> can you give me some of the tournaments? Uh, well, then he reached the final in Lyon, uh, May 2019. Oh, I think it was a Frenchman. You're absolutely right. Although it's fishing, so you can only get half a point. I oh, I do vaguely remember this. Uh, in the words of Jeremy Paxman, I'm trying I'm to remember. Is it? I think. Well, I can't. No, I'm I can't afraid you're taking too long. Sorry. Like, song, no. song Benoit there. Pair. It's Benoit. Oh, Benoit Pair. Pair. Yeah. Um, again, it's a French team. Uh, and then, yeah, another Frenchman, Gael Monfils, beat him in Rotterdam earlier this year. Uh, he lost to Berrettini in Stuttgart on grass. Lost to Tsitsipas in Marseille in February. Like, I think mm. what's important to note here is that the only path, the only kind of thing that all these matches have in common is that Felix lost and Felix lost in straight sets. They've been on hard court, they've been on clay court, they've been on grass court, they've been against good players, they've been against bad players, they've been against great players. I mean, Calvin, it's starting to look a little bit like a mental block. Is this um, what I call the Sheryl Crow problem? The first cut is the deepest. <laughs> um, I mean, are we, are we having Sheryl Crow's version of that as the definitive one? <laughs> 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 um, but he, uh, he wants to take another lesson from Sheryl, which is tomorrow never dies. Oh, oh sure. I mean, that is very good. Very good. Um, Calvin, any serious tennis chat? <laughs> I, I mean, the, the record. The, the, there's always the flip side of it, of course, that he's reached six finals at the age of twenty, um, which is a different way of looking at it. And some of those players, he'll definitely he wouldn't have been favourite against um, Zverev for one, Tsitsipas another. Um, it, it's a strange one because he's been in no sort of form before last week either, um, yeah. and then out of nowhere, I think he had a pretty favourable draw actually, um, to make the final of that. Um, 
I'm a bit, I'm a little bit worried about him to be honest. Um, in in general, like just his career because he's not quite kicked on like I thought he would. Well, still think he will. Um, I know like even sort of outside of his sport, he he doesn't have any sort of his advice network isn't isn't great. He 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 just has like his his management is a from what I'm told is basically a tax a tax lawyer. Right. Um, and that that's his sort of support team, and then he has a sort of Canadian national coach who coaches him, and there just doesn't seem to be any real development in his game for about eighteen months. It's just a case of like, is he getting better physically? Because he's, he's physically a, a, a phenomenon. Right. Um, but I'm not sure tennis-wise what he does better than he did eighteen months ago, and I'm not sure who is advising him on that that might need to happen soon. Um, and I know people within the sort of sports management world who've, who who are sort of say it's a bizarre setup that he's got. Mm. Um, and you know, I'd imagine he'd be a pretty hot property given you know his. Absolutely, he's, absolutely. He's got a lot going for him. Um, I, I looked at, I was kind of looking at the stats from his final with Zverev, and I mean, the thing that kind of stood out was that he his first serve percentage didn't go up or down really from his previous rounds, but. His points won on first serve massively did. It, it, it smelt like Zverev had a massive return game, um, which mm. I suppose you would argue that his previous opponents of Henri Laxon and Radu Albot and Roberto Bautista-Agut probably couldn't produce, George. Yeah. I mean, it's interesting what kind of Calvin's saying about him pushing on because He's someone I didn't expect to blow as hot and cold as he does when I first saw him. I thought he was going to be a lot more steady week in, week out and only start losing to kind of consistently good players. And mm. actually what I've seen from him this year, and I know this is a really hard year to be like making blanket statements on people's form, but, you know, the way he played against Murray was unbelievable. I mean, that was one of the highest level performances I've seen all year in terms of taking someone I know Murray was not necessarily at his best but make no mistake Felix was absolutely unplayable that day and Um, the round after that as well yeah so there Um, there have been like real highs I I just I thought the base level would be higher than it has been and and we do need to cut him a little bit of slack because he's still is he top 20 just about or just outside now I mean he's still 22 I think 22 so you know it's not a complete disaster for a guy who's 20 to be a top 20 player. And, if, you know, we're going to talk about this a bit later about the kind of development patterns for men and women now. But I, funnily enough, like Dominic Team, I still consider Dominic Team to be like 24 in my head. But he just <laughs> won his first slam at 27. So, you know, there's a long way to go in this race um, for him. So I, I'm certainly not getting the, the panic crew out just yet but I th- yeah I, think I, I thought it'd be better this year than he has been and it, an interesting thing about his sort of progression is like like a few players like Felix is that you've got to remember that at every stage of his tennis development he's been the dominant force up until this he was always the best 14 and under tennis player in the world he was then a fun I mean I think he'd won a challenger at 16 years old so he was always the best 18 and under player in the world then he's tore through the futures and the challenges um, so he's never sort of had this question of confidence in his career before where he's winning a match, losing a match. And and that's always an interesting one for players when they hit that sort of that plateau, how they push through it. And, and, I suppose it and is, on that point, I was just going to say on that point, 
that it'll be interesting to compare him to Yannick Sinner, who perhaps didn't have that dominant force yeah. early on. He's a bit more used to kind of the rigours of coming into the men's tour. It'll be interesting to see if Sinner surpasses him quite quickly because he knows how to brush off losses faster. Yeah. Well, I suppose as well, you know, on a kind of basic level, if you hit a real stinking run of form, you go from maybe playing really well and playing, you know, maybe 15 matches a month to like playing four matches a month. You know, if you get on a really bad run, yeah. that can really change things. I, I yeah. remember um, one of my first, I uh, knew how rookie this was actually, it was one of my first tournaments was at uh, Queen's about four years ago. And I remember talking to Songer after he'd lost in the the first round and, you know, I wasn't necessarily as sharp on everything. And I was kind of like, oh, how does it feel like losing in the first round? Must must be pretty painful. It's like, yeah, I lose every week. <laughs> <It's> like, <laughs> <laughs> fine. Like, but the, but it's true, isn't it? I mean, it, it, it does get to a point in your career where someone, you know, who's had a decent amount of success like Songa, um, you know, been up to top five, um, Grand Slam semi-finals, Grand Slam final even. Um, and it's still you are losing every single week of your career. Um, that's kind of quite a hard, hard thing to shake off mentally. That must just take you down a long way. And for, as Calvin's saying, for someone like Felix who's maybe not experienced that so much, that mm. isn't something he wants to get used to. So maybe him reacting badly to it isn't necessarily a bad sign in that sense either that, he might be no. like, I hate this so much that I'm going to work harder and improve and stop it happening. Maybe. Yeah, but I think, again, to come back to what Kelvin was saying about his team, you know, the traditional move when a player's playing really badly is to change team or, you know, bring someone new into the camp. So it'd be interesting, especially given the time of year we're at. Um, I don't think he's... He's just about the only person not still in the race to uh, London. So, you know, his season is pretty much coming to an end. If, he's, if he were going to make a change, it's not a bad time um, to think about it. It's an interesting one, actually, with him, with, with his team, in that he's out of this sort of this bunch of Canadians that have come through in the last sort of two or three years, is that famously, like, that the Canadian Association have had a lot of a lot of praise for it, but the people sort of within the sport have commented that, that none of them, with the exception of Felix, have actually come through the Canadian system, in inverted commas. Uh, if you will, so right. Shapovalov trained. He, he he wasn't born there. Then he went and trained in Florida early doors, as did Bouchard, and I think Andrescu as well did. Uh, Raonic did, was never really in the system. Um, so he is Felix has always been the sort of the poster boy of the Canadian system, and and I wonder whether that has anything to do with with the team he's got around him. Yeah, it would make sense. And then then you know, there's also the thing going from big fish small pond to small yeah. big pond small fish it's a it's a big transition well i mean i think we'd all be excited to see him play well again next year so fingers crossed that this is just a, a blip and that finals become second nature to him um, i mentioned the atp finals race there um we are of course at that time of year when well basically we all have to start doing the thing we really hate which is maths um and i've not i've not been able to do any maths i was looking at it and i was like i don't really understand but what i do know is this the following are already qualified. Djokovic, Nadal, Team Tsitsipas, Medvedev and Zverev. Um, and the, the next seven or eight all technically uh, could qualify. Rublev, Schwartzman, Berrettini, Monfils, Shapovalov, um, Roberto Bezitra, Agut, David Goffin, Pablo Carreño-Busta and Fabio Fanini. Um, that's in order. 
for me, the thing that really stands out, and I thank Tumani Cariol for doing some maths on this one on Twitter, <laughs> is that Andre Rublev is still not assured by any means of a place at the ATP uh, World Tour Finals. And he has won the most points, I think, of anyone uh, in 2020. Now, that, that doesn't... I know they've obviously... Uh, of the um, people, if you take Zverev out of it, who's now qualified. Uh, well, I was going to say, that's not true. But, the people yeah. who haven't qualified the club. Yeah. Um, I was looking at the list and I was like, this seems strange as I'm saying it. But, um, yeah, you know, in ter- the system's obviously changed, George. You can probably explain exactly how. Um, but you can fair on him. Yeah, well, I guess just the the big the big thing this year is that it, it's harder to have a big swing. Like, so last year, if someone was a little bit higher, who'd maybe was about to drop some points in, in terms of looking at the main rankings. Obviously, at this stage, you're pretty much looking at the race to London anyway. But people aren't losing points, so they kind of hang on to those. But I, I was going to just say on the uh, on the qualifier, it, it's probably quite likely. I'd imagine that Rafael Nadal will not bother coming to London judging on from oh, what he like said. <laughs> so I, I would say there's probably a, an extra an spot already. Um, I'd, yeah, I mean, there's always a random result, isn't there, in Paris or something that yeah. swings someone in. Um, but Jack Sock being Jack. notable. Um, there's always um, there's also always somebody there who, who really, it's weird to say, doesn't deserve to be there, but you, you know is going to take a caning. And they've just sort of got <laughs> in through the back door on some sort of, like mad results somewhere, like for example, like Berrettini last year, um, or, or Berrettini this year. Berrettini. Yeah, I mean, it's phenomenally like, still in the mix. Like it, that's what I mean. Is that George? I mean, can you? You may know better than me, but is it basically that it's sort of best results from the last two years stand? Is that basically how it is? So you, yeah. it's almost it's almost like the rankings. Like you can't, you know. It's gonna it's gonna take a bit of an effort to shift, basically, but but it's still doable. I suppose. I mean, I don't. I, I to be honest, I've been off work a lot this week, so I haven't really bothered doing the calculations yet. That's kind of a job. I mean, I'd, I'd say I'll, I'll like you dive can in. Prepared for this, George. Makes a real difference. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm, I'm looking, been working. I'm normally all over it, but I haven't been working much. <laughs> I, I'm looking at it now, and I mean, you'd think that Rublev and Schwartzman really ought to be there. They've both had pretty decent years. Yeah. Um, the the ones below. I'd like that, Shapovalov. Yeah, Shapovalov's also had a decent year. Below that, you think like Batista. I got yeah, the Spanish have done all right, but then like you got like Goffin and Berrettini. You think like have they been one of the top eight players in the world in the last eighteen months? I think like, it would be a real travesty if either of those got there. To be to be frank, like with the greatest respect, you know, they're both obviously decent tennis players, but I think even they would say they're not in the best eight tennis yeah. players this year. Um, so, so, so George, if you think, let's say Nadal's not going to play, um, so that basically means that we've already got five spots uh, locked up, which means there are three more. We would think Rublev and Schwartzman will both get there. I mean, of those ones, Berrettini, Monfi, Shapovalov, Batista, Goffin, PCB and Fanini, who do you think is likely to pull something out of the bag in the next two weeks? I was just going to say, am I, am I right in thinking Shapovalov was a finalist in Paris last year? Was that last year that he did that? So yeah, that, that that could be a a problem for him to get 
a big enough increase, assuming he's not going to win Paris. Um, yeah, you're right. He was in the final last year, so he's he's almost he's in trouble. I, I, he needs he needs to win his tournament. If, assuming he's playing Vienna or something, is he in Cologne this week? I've completely lost the plot here. He could be in Cologne this week or Vienna the week Either after. Way, he needs, to, he needs he needs to win a tournament, I think, to get there. Realistically, um, but, and it would almost again. You know, if he gets pipped by Matteo Berrettini, then there definitely won't be any justice in the world. But that, like yeah. Berrettini, is the man in possession. He is tenth on the list. But going in as an alternate's not a bad thing either this year. I think people you might be a lot of pull out. But yeah, then you get sharp. Be surprised. You don't. I remember when when Rafa pulled out the year Dimitrov won it. Whenever that was, he Rafa pulled out after twenty seventeen. Yeah. And Karenia Buster came in for him, and yeah. he doesn't get any. Like he was only he only played two matches, and didn't get any points for the other match that he didn't play. So if you come in as an alternate, it's basically impossible to qualify. It's good good money though. I wouldn't. I, I don't think there'd be yeah. much of a complaint. I think they get paid something like eighty grand just to turn up for that. Right. It's a real wedge of money just to be an alternate there. So it, 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 there is an incentive. <laughs> some of these players I might be wrong but I think I, I remember once I think it was I, I know what it, the year it was it was 98 because I was in Australia and I think Rosetsky came in as an alternate and qualified for the semis from two matches wow um, I think I'm right in saying that but um, I can't think of another time when it's happened it, it is like you say it's almost impossible and Rosetsky got that record yeah and the, and the money per match win is pretty big isn't it I think it's some, I can't remember the exact yeah. figures it's something like 150 grand for a win so yeah. you know even coming in for that third match is like getting yeah. to the quarterfinals of the 250 not, do you know what I mean it's, it's worth a swing yeah not to be sniffed at <clears throat> um, it's a shame though that I think well I, I think we're pretty certain at this point with London in tier 2 regulations that there won't be any fans in the O2 arena for it I think especially it being an indoor event that so is certain, yes. More chance of me qualifying in the top eight, I'd say. <laughs> um, I don't know, have you got that. lots of points to lean on from last year? Well, I could win Paris. <laughs> the, the, real, the real question Paris, is... I could probably real... go a better backhand. <laughs> <laughs> the, the real question at this stage is whether we're going to get in there. That's the, that's the well, big that's question the that I'm sure everyone cares about. about. Yeah, there's been some mild rumblings that there'll be a, a group going, but I, I don't know the size or who's going to be special enough to go yet. I but. mean, so this is one of those things when you pull back the curtain on the journalistic world. In a fair <laughs> world, you'd probably like have all the journalists entered into a ballot and you'd pull everyone's name out of the hat. And that definitely won't happen. Um, that, that definitely will not happen. Yeah, I, I think... think. One thing you can be certain of, it won't be random. It'll be... Uh, based no, I think, I think they call them... Uh, I can't remember the word, whether it was key or major. I can't remember. But Preferred media partners is the usual phrase. No, it, it wasn't that. It was... It, yeah, it wasn't selected either. I can't remember. Okay. But, it, yeah, the, the, there's some talk happening, but, yeah, there's no fans. I'll make a small bet with you, George, uh, right here, right now, that you go to ATP World Tour Finals and I don't despite the fact that you work for a national website and I work for a national newspaper. But, you know what? I'm not bitter about it, because I'll be home on reasonable time. I, I have nothing to add to any of this. <laughs> I've, I, I've, I've already said too much, really, to be honest. <laughs> Very good. Okay, well, 
maybe you can tell us something you know lots about, which is the uh, draw in Ostrava this week. Oof, do I know lots about that? I briefly glanced at it earlier to look through some players and see. Well, it was, it was a pretty strong draw. really admire about George is his level of preparation. It's amazing. Like, he comes in, he's got all <laughs> It's my day off today. <laughs> I, I've, I've basically had the week off, so it's, it's difficult for me to come in and be, like, top preparation. Um, so I, quick. I drew up the order of play for us. That was pretty good. Yeah, it took, took you a long time. Um, it's a decent draw, nevertheless. Um, Carolina Pliskova is already out, so we don't have to talk about her. It's great. Um, what, what's kind of the significance? You were mentioning the WTA finals, George, that, that there's a bit yeah. of a mess. So you criticise me for doing no work, but on my day off today, I have actually done some journalistic digging to talk you through the situation today. So, oh, God. So we are not worthy, Belshaw. Yeah, so you should be really pleased. I've, I've actually done some serious prep on this, which hindered my other prep of looking through drawers and it's telling okay. you about Australian I'll forgive you if this is dynamite. Well, I wouldn't go so far as dynamite, but it's <laughs> obviously the the situation has been for the WTA compared to the ATP. This the back end of the season is that pretty much the entirety of the WTA season is in China. Yeah. And China has been like, we're not having any sporting events. So that was a big issue. Now, for those of you who are well-versed in the economics of tour tennis, these tour finals, both the ATP finals and the WTA finals, are very, very lucrative events for the tours. So you've got the Grand Slam zone there events, which you know are the most lucrative events in tennis. Mm-hmm. Um, but these ones are are not far behind them. And in terms of percentage of how much it's worth to the whole tour you're talking about 20 percent that sort of figure so it's a it's a big portion for one event for an for a sport that runs all year round now there were tentative discussions between the wta and other parties mainly other places looking to potentially take the wta tour finals um this Mm. year um, because they obviously can't be in Shenzhen, uh, which is where they are, yeah. having just moved from from there to Shing- uh, from Singapore to there recently. So there were tentative discussions with certain places. I, I, I believe Prague was mentioned. Um, mm. I, I'm not 100 percent sure on any other places, and even Prague might be off the mark, to be honest. Um, but there were a few places saying they would be interested in holding it. I understand that it's like 99% certain they're just not going to happen now. And wow. and it was described as a miracle for something to happen. Um, it was no, there were no formal talks, but there were, you know, feelers being put out. And I think the general feeling both from the kind of Shenzhen side to the um, WTA being able to get it on this late, it, it, it's basically incredibly unlikely. So we're looking at the end of the WTA season happening in, Linz, which is about a month after this event in Ostrava. Um, Linz, I think, has been moved back by like four or five weeks. And then they're potentially looking at putting on a 125k event in December, I think. And that, that's the shape up for the women's tour for the rest of the season. There you uh, go. Pretty good, right? Uh, yeah, but excellent. I suppose that the logic with um, Prague, if, if that was one of them, is that they're, like like you said, the draw in Ostrava is quite strong. It's not far away. You know, they're all already in the Czech Republic. You don't have to go through any like 
because basically any other country, you'd have to probably put them through quarantine in some description, and, and that would make it a whole lot more difficult. Um, you mentioned the economics of it. Uh, I seem to remember Ash Barty winning it last year and taking home a record prize fund for... For men and there. women. Oh, was it? it, it yeah, it was, it was the highest. And funnily enough, that, that caused a bit of a kickback from the uh, male players who weren't particularly oh, happy. Oh, did it? Oh, did it? shows... Shows how petty who, some of these things that. can be. <laughs> I can't think of which member of the Professional Tennis Players Association would have led that particular prize money kickoff about women earning money. Um, but, but what I was going to say is that, you know, you say it's really important to the economics of tennis, but how, we know how much money the players get out of it, but equally it's the top eight players in the world, so how bothered are we about them not earning the extra cash. That's not where the squeeze is in tennis economics, is it? No, uh, it's much more to do with the runnings of the tour. I mean, this is a massive contract. The WTA one is something like... Is it, is it something ridiculous. I mean, it's something like 10 billion over 10 years or something, wasn't it? Is it that much? Well, yeah, it can't be right. 20 mm-hmm. billion... It, it, I can't really remember, but it was, it was a huge amount of money. I mean, um, my understanding is... There's been no fee paid to the WTA this for this year. year. Yeah, for this year. Yeah, um, and I'm not sure exactly the breakdown of the deal. So I'm not sure if there's like a flat fee that had to be paid if it didn't go ahead that it wasn't paid on top of. Um, but there was also, I think, a worry that they didn't want to upset organisers in. Shenzhen by moving it somewhere else and that that was actually fairly significant in it not happening um, yeah I mean I would assume if they haven't if they do, I would assume there's going to be a couple more extra events in China next year but that way I would think that there will be an effort to say look can we have some of the staging fee for this tournament if we run this tournament and this tournament and this tournament you know in China next year that that would be the obvious thing to do because the money is still there, you know, it's not like the money in China is all centralised, it's not like it runs out. Um, so I, I think there will probably be a few extra events on the uh, on the calendar next year. It's a shame not to have that though, because it's usually a pretty decent tournament as well. Yeah, and, and just, it's a bit of a shame for their season to kind of finish like this, isn't it? I, I think like having a month gap between two tournaments yeah. at the top professional level just feels a bit odd, doesn't it? I mean... That's just like a bit of a damp squib. Is Lindsay Goff won. Goff last year, yeah. Yeah. Well remembered. Thank you very much. Who did you beat in the final? Uh, Oh, no, I know this. Oh, Oh, no. I I can see her. Oh, no, it's gone. I think I briefly had it. Maybe maybe Amanda Asimova? No. No, I think it's Ostapenko. It was. It was Ostapenko, I remember it, yeah. Oh, it's in the right (laughs) ballpark then. That's a good matchup for your first final. Talking of, you think Laszlo Jair is a decent matchup? I think Yelena Ostapenko is a pretty decent one for your first final. <laughs> she was um, playing quite well then, wasn't she? She, um, yeah, she, well, obviously well enough to get to the final, but she was in pretty good, good form good that week, Ostapenko. Yeah. Yeah. It's a good win. Um, let's move on to our sort of final discussion topic of the night um, because we mentioned this a little bit earlier and sort of foreshadowed it, which is kind of I was looking at the list of the top teenagers in the world. And kind of, you know, there's been a couple of really good breakthroughs this work, this year. Um, one that I've kind of particularly taken note of has been Carlos Alcaraz because I wrote a bit of a feature on him 
during lockdown um, and spoke to his coach, Juan Carlos Ferreira, about him. Um, he's a really interesting character. I think he, I'm right saying he's now something like the fourth youngest uh, man to win two challenger events because he's picked up two challengers, his first two challenger titles over the summer. Um, did he beat Nadal to that? Do you think he's slightly younger than Nadal was when he? I was, I was going to ask you who the three were. That's, that well, sounds like, like a good step. Nadal and maybe Felix. I think it's Felix. I think it's literally those three. Oh, was Jacques I think That's so. Top of my head. Um, but Could yeah, well be. It was, yeah. was tell you this, it was esteemed company, to use a, a sporting cliche. Um, and he's now up to, uh, having reached the final in Alicante this week, he's now up to 136 in the world, uh, number three in the teenager rankings, um, behind Yannick Sinner, who of course we talked about before, um, and Lorenzo Musetti, who's had a decent year as well. Um, I mean, Alcaraz looks like he's got all the pieces kind of having followed him this summer consistency looks like a real issue like when he loses the first set I'm not worried put it that way because he he does lose the first set a lot and you know does seem to have those highs and lows um the point being he then wins the second set a lot as well but that's teenagers right (laughs) yeah I mean he's he's a phenomenal player I mean he's just even from the start of the year when he was when he was winning futures, um, I remember I, I was in Tunisia. Um, he he wasn't there, but sort of you just looking at the results around the futures, and he was beating serious players, like players who you would say are they're probably what John McEnroe would call journeymen, but sort yeah. of the the gatekeepers of that level of sort of you know sort of six hundred to two fifty, mm. um, who. Who, who tend to churn out wins at that level for fun, and then this 16-year-old was coming and just just destroying them, just butchering them. So yeah. it, it sort of, you know, you knew something was coming then because that just doesn't happen unless the player's serious. Yeah. Um, and um, yeah, he, from my eyes, I've I've not seen loads of him in person or in points, but he, he's top 20 a year from now, I would think. Yeah, I think he's big. He's big win as well earlier in the year was he beat Albert, Albert Ramos for Nolas in like yeah. three hours in Rio at about two in the morning and like yeah. you know he's 17 you shouldn't be like physically he's a big guy um, and very developed so um, quite impressive George. When I was looking at this list earlier uh, and seeing him so close in the rankings to Massetti I mean it'd be really good if those guys can be get, get themselves into a uh, main draw French Open because I think they're both decent clay court players and would be interesting ones to kind of see how they kind of step up to a first slam because I mean Massetti we didn't really get a chance to talk about him the other week but he he had an astonishing week in Rome as well um, and he's another you know to throw both of them in into their first kind of major uh, you know they might qualify for Australia as well but if they were both main draw at that stage it's quite realistic they could be in that yeah. kind of ranking cutoff, that that would be quite an interesting storyline. So I think they're both players who've started to show already they're not going to be afraid, whoever they're drawing, and could do some serious damage. So it's exciting it, from that perspective. It's different different characters. Out. Sorry, James. Go well, I was just going to say it's worth pointing out um, that you mentioned Lorenzo Musetti, and we've talked before about the Italian talent pool. Of the top 10 male teenagers in the world, three of them are Italian. And two of them are one and two in the list. You know, yep. there is clearly a, 
maybe not a tidal wave, but um, you know, a small sort of current yeah, moving in that direction. I think we covered we, we we covered that um, a couple of weeks ago, didn't we? About the sort of fantastic sort of competitive structure that they've set up in Italy, um, and it just sort mm. of it, it, it's levels above. There's apparently I think there's only America in the world that has has more tournaments than Italy now um, at all yeah. levels. So they're, they're, it's phenomenal, really, what what they've done, and and this is sort of the reward from it. They were doing this sort of four or five years ago, but. Um, the interesting thing with Massetti is I know that um, I know he's been around for a while and um, there's, there were some serious questions asked about his sort of discipline and his commitment and his focus. Um, so it's an interesting one that he sort of come through through that sort of having that reputation. Um, and it was mentioned to me by a British coach of saying that we, we just wouldn't have produced the, that that player wouldn't have come through in Britain. He'd have been written off for being having a bad attitude and a, a bad sort of disciplinary record. Uh, and I was going to kind of say further to that point, when you look at Sinner and Musetti and the kind of different game styles and stuff, sometimes you hear in the kind of uh, British way about thinking about young tennis, or I shouldn't say the British, like the LTA way sometimes is that they kind of want to have a distinct style that you look at as being a British mm-hmm. style of tennis player. I think when you look at the kind of Italians that are coming through and seeing the variety you're getting there, I, I kind of wonder whether it's kind yeah. of proving the point about you need people who are going to figure it out on their own, work their way through competition rather than necessarily like you need to play like this and try and hammer that sort of that yeah. thing in. I think that just echoes that point as well. Massetti, I think, will, will always be more of a, a slow court play. He's got huge swings. Um, it's a great backhand I, when it gets going. Yeah, but I, I've seen him play on the grass, and, and it wasn't a pretty sight on the grass. Yeah, I can that, imagine. That backhand. Um, <laughs> I can imagine. And I, in fact, the first time I'd seen him was on the grass, and it was interesting when I'd seen him this year that, that I, I'd sort of thought that backhand's terrible. But when I saw it on the clay, it looks a great shot, but it's, it is a huge swing. So it's whether you, I'd be interested to see how he how he copes if he plays any of these indoor tournaments that are coming up. Hmm. Um, uh, and it's the there are more. I think there are more names on there that are recognisable. You know, there are five teenagers inside the top hundred in the men's game. There's only one. Um, you know, Spiontek obviously we've spoken about, but you know, it's, I think it's easy to forget that Amanda Anisimova is only 19 years old. And you know Corey yeah. Goff is you know is 16 years old, and yet these are players we have talked about for a while as being people who can compete on a weekly basis. Yeah, I, I think there's uh, certainly there's the, I think in the men's game more recently there's the physical element of it as well that it's tough to break into that top 100 as as a teenager, um, and mm. you know sinners. Sinner's one who can just out-hit them. Um, Alcaraz, I think, will be the next one because, as you've said, he's, he's almost a fully grown man already. Um, but <laughs> y- you're not yeah. seeing so much of that, whereas on the women's side, I, I don't think it's such such an issue. Is, mm. is, is there anything, kind of as a coach, you're seeing in young players now where they're almost accepting their journey is going to be perhaps four or five years later than it was in the older days or is that um, you need to prepare from that perspective? I just think there's no real pathway. There's no set blueprint for how you get there. And, um, it, it, that any, anything, you know, each player always goes down a different sort of different pathway. And I think that's another mistake that we've, we've kind of made in Britain a lot of the time is that we have this idea that 
that there's a set route to where to the top 100, which is sort of uh, it's interesting being how few players we've got there that we're so certain of the route that that gets you there. But um, <laughs> but um, no, I think that that that's the only thing. And the the players don't tend to know the the young players. You know, the, the, you you go and you play your futures and. If you're winning plenty of futures, you go and play. If you're winning for plenty of 15s, you go and play some 25s. And if you get to the last stage of that, you get into a qualify. You get into challenger qualies, and you know you don't know. But sometimes it might take three or four years to get there. But I think we have this sort of idea. Of, we we write players off a lot over here. We're always looking at reasons why someone might not do something, and if they haven't sort of broken through at, at age sort of 20, then we start going, well, they're they're probably not going to do it. But you know, there's there's players breaking in the top 100 now at 28, 29, 30 years old. Maybe we shouldn't be looking at the. I obsess about teenagers. I'm just that sounds weird. I didn't mean like that. Uh, <laughs> maybe we shouldn't look at you know 20. No, but certainly it, not in the men's game. But it, but it's so interesting, isn't it? I mean, like <clears throat> you know, I know this year has kind of hit things off. But you know, I think Molica was maybe the second ranked highest teenager behind Felix before and now you've got him slipping back to fifth not making much progress it's interesting how little your ranking can can kind of mean doesn't it really I mean it's so hard to predict who's gonna swing through at what point um unless you're at kind of sinner's height and you know that's height in the ranking rather than actual height um but like... I think a lot you know with the year we've had as well a lot of it will depended on what what sort of access some of to. these players yeah. will, will have got to. I mean, I know that when when we were away just recently, that for example, the Israeli lads were saying that they just weren't, they've just found it found it impossible to, to be professional tennis players over lockdown. And they've got out of the country and they were saying there's no chance that they're going back, um, even if it means that they'll just sort yeah. of almost be hobos and travel the world because it, they pretty much have to put their careers on hold if they go back into the country. And you wonder how many more countries are like that. And and equally like now, with if you're in South America and, and you're out of the the rankings that will get you into tournaments over here, there's only three futures in the world this week, anywhere in the world. So if you're ranked sort of 850, 900, you're probably just you're not going to be able to play a tournament at the minute. It's interesting mm. seeing a couple of uh, Argentine players in the men's as well. They seem to yeah. be... They do seem to be producing a lot of players at the minute. I'm wondering if there's a bit of a Del Potro knock on for them. They've um, just got. They've just always had such a solid um, system. One that's interesting. Um, there was one a couple of years ago who I think he's probably still playing. Was the son of Burachaga, who scored the winner in the 1986 World Cup. Um, he's a proper was, player. That's not yeah. a name I thought I'd be hearing this evening. Uh, yeah, <laughs> his son represent. I went to. I went to Junior Davis Cup in 2016, and the team the team that um, Russia won it, I think Russia or Canada won it, but Felix played for Canada, um, and Argentina lost in the semis, I think. And Burachagerson was one of them, so he he was definitely coming through. But a couple of the other names I saw on that list earlier that we were looking at, they they were also in the Argentina team. Uh, yeah, the, Argentina uh, to watch out for Roman Andres Burachaga. Um, he's currently 1,268 in the world, I'm afraid to say. Um, okay. So he's not quite as good as his dad. Hugely disappointing. <laughs> I would have yeah. loved that. I'm, I'm yeah. a, a big fan. He's 18. Oh, he's born time, in 2002. If you want to feel 
Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah we should again, at that age, uh, again at that age, yeah, it depends what they've played as well. You know, like a, a, a win of a Futures will take you from eight from 1,200 to 850. So, you know, right. it's, it's a couple of those and then suddenly you're in the mix. So, And, and he probably hasn't played many. He's not going to have as much no. pressure on him as Leo Borg, anyway. There are a couple of <laughs> yeah. young young sportsmen <laughs> kicking around. There. I think it was interesting when we were talking about that. Just just quickly, I don't know whether you guys saw it yesterday, but those when Zver- when Zverev won the um, number of titles won before the age of twenty four, um, and th- th- there was a list of them up, and Borg at the top with sixty titles and I think nine slams before the age of 24. He's just like a ridiculous human being. Was it 26 he retired at? Yeah, 25 or 26. 26. But then the next on the list was Nadal at 40. So you think he was like like a third better than Nadal. You can't even comprehend that now. Like when, you know, and I think that Mm. when, you know, when we're talking about the best players ever, we don't sort of talk, Borg doesn't get in there because he retired so early. But, just on his yeah. career alone, you think he, if he continued at the rate that he was going at, he's, he's number one comfortably, isn't he? That's a, I suppose well, yeah. the, uh, the flip side is he just chucked in the towel, wasn't it? That he yeah. kind of knew he'd gone over the hill and didn't bother proving it. But yeah, I mean, th- this is a debate I'm sure we'll have at some point where we can kind of pick these things out. If you're, if you're looking for the players who hit the highest level, look at yeah. someone like Monica Sellers as well. I mean, Sellers, yeah. you know, was smashing everyone until that kind of yeah. freak incident still won a slam after that. But if you look at a slam winning rate before that, yeah. she, she could have been comfortably <laughs> beyond Margaret court. Yeah. And up into her thirties of the slams. I mean, never quite goes like that, but you know, that's another interesting. But then point. you've got that weird thing as well, where some players just luck out in terms of when they were playing, you know, even Lendl has, God knows how long at world number one. <laughs> We're back on the Lendl conspiracy. <laughs> what, what a surprise. <laughs> what a surprise. It's interesting. <laughs> I, I, I had an interesting debate with, with a mate of mine the other day who sort of tried, tried to argue that, that Federer's slam record is, is better than Djokovic and Nadal's because there were more, the, the, the men's ran deeper back then. And I was like, I'm, I'm not buying this. That there were more, there were more average players, so it, 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 it made the level better. Um, well, because his you second know, round went matches to, are slightly harder. Yeah, but when I went yeah. back to look at it, you know, there's a real drop in men's tennis from '01 to '03. It, it, it's, <laughs> yeah, it, it wasn't is, great. Is, yeah, I mean, yeah, Leighton Hewitt is probably one of the luckier world number ones around. Yeah, um, you would probably yeah. argue. Marit Yeah, Juan, Juan um, Carlos Ferreira got to world number one, didn't Mo- he? I mean, Moya as well. Moya was number one as well. They've all got like sort of seven weeks between them, haven't they? Yeah. I mean, the, the world number one, I, I always think is not a great, it's not a great measurement. Like, you know, God love Andy Murray, but I remember when he basically sort of gamed the system because he realised, oh, if I actually had like yeah. seven tournaments in the next seven weeks, I could get number one at the end of the year. And okay, he hung on to it brilliantly, but I still maintain that what he did to himself in that period of tennis is what we're now seeing the upshot of, you know, years down the line. Yeah, but also I think it's it's the system, like you say, it's the system that you can play. There was there was famously, uh, I don't know whether we might have spoke about this before because I always have a bee in my bonnet, uh, and, and I don't think many people know this, but Greg, Greg Rosetsky was once one match away from becoming world number one. 
Um, was that the US yeah, Open the, final, presumably? It was, it was not long after the US Open when he made the final, and then there was a random clay court tournament in, I don't know whether it was Newcastle or Bournemouth, on the green clay, <laughs> the um, <big> ATP. <laughs> and he played, and I think he got to the semis, and I think he needed the final for world number one. As it happens, he was still in the world number four, but with points coming off and what have you, um, he would have got world number one. And I, I was like, this would be ridiculous. I mean, that would be a, a case for a readdress because that was that was in the in peak Sampras era as well. Well, so, uh, so. I, I was going to. I was going. It can't have been far off that time where you had like Marcelo Rios getting up to world number one as well. And I was just going to say, I know Rios was. Yeah, but I was just going to say, would you rather have Rios's career where you've reached world number one and not won a slam, or someone like Marin Cilic's career where you've yeah. just won one slam? What 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 do you? What I would guess you Rios for, Rios for a period for for a sort of six month period was phenomenal, and and looked looked outrageously good, and then just dropped off. Whereas I guess Rosetsky just, like, I mean, number four was a bit overranked for him, if, if we're honest. <laughs> poor Greg. Poor Greg. I think to answer your question, George, it, it, it's it's chillich, isn't it? It's slam. You, you you want the moment in the sun, the you know yeah, the trophy yeah. lift, the the flushing meadows, the Arthur Ashe, the or whatever it is. I think you want that rather than like, yeah. oh, I've just won like you know the Paris Masters and that's fine, and oh, I'm well number one now. I suppose that's cool. There is something quite cool about being like I am literally the best person at what I do in the world right now. Like, if you win a Grand Slam, you, you can't really say that, but to be world number one, I mean, that is quite a cool bragging, right? Hey, what do you do for a career? Well, I do this, and I was literally the best at it. So, you know. I mean, yeah, you're not wrong. Uh, I remember the school I went to played quite a lot of obscure sports, and um, one of which was rackets, and another one of which was Winchester Fives. And, yeah, we had guys who were like, yeah. Winchester I, Fives? What, you, Winchester fives, yeah. Is that different to Eaton fives? Yeah, because Eaton have a flying buttress in the middle of the court, which is very yeah, annoying, yeah, yeah. I think. So, what, so, so is, Winchester is it, yeah, fives it's, basically, basically played in a squash court. It's not a squash court. So it's, all, so it's the same kind of hand thing, but... There we go, yeah. I didn't even know that existed. I only knew of Eaton fives. People who grew up north of Kettering, um, Calvin, um, five is basically squat. <laughs> Absolutely no idea what you're talking about. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, it's quite cool to be world number one at something. But I, I would still rather have the, you know, the, the look. Put it this way: the film Wimbledon, starring Paul Bettany, um, obviously a <laughs> seminal work. It's not about it's not about him winning a Masters 1000 in Miami and becoming world number one, is it? It's about him winning a tournament. That's what you're in the game to do. Just True. 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 Interesting I, I, thing I, about interesting thing about Wimbledon the film is that um, it's set in about 2006. <laughs> but, Who knew but we were going to get here? Yeah, but Paul Bettany's character seems to be dressed as if it's set in like 1982. Like like that is not where I was expecting you to go with that. No, I remember no. watching. That's the thing. What stood out for me when I'm watching it, like, what? Why is he? Why is his kit from like 1983? Like, I, thought, I, I thought you were going to tell us who Paul Bettany's stunt double was. And well, that's that was my mate. I think I've said thing. that before. That's yeah, that's, that's what I thought I you were going to yeah. say. Yeah, yeah. Um, and it's also that the, the, there was that era of tennis films, wasn't it? There was that one, and the, what's the other one with Jude Law? Um, Match point. 
that Match point. That's it. Jude Won Scarlett Johansson. I've not, yeah. I've not seen that. Yeah, I'm not sure. I've, not, I've ever seen that. I tell you what, than Wimbledon. you put this on Twitter. Is it? You can tell us, <laughs> tell us the best and the worst depictions of tennis in films. Because there are some where you watch it and you're like, that's awful. That's just oh, they, not um, remotely tennis. The one the other year. The one about McEnroe and Borg. Terrible. Terrible. <laughs> <laughs> it wasn't that bad, was it? The one that's got... Um, What's his yeah, name? I watched it. Uh, Elijah Wood. No, no, yeah. the the other one. That no, is, that's the one. No, I mean the the one about Bok- Borg and McEnroe. Yeah, it's was... Elijah Wood. One of them. No, it's the guy who was the Indiana Jones's son. I forget his name. Pass. In the so, la- in the rubbish Indiana film. Jones. Can film. I have one on sport? Oh, Sheila Buff is who I mean. Sheila Buff, yeah. Word. Sheila that's Buff by John McEnroe. Sorry, sorry, yeah. sorry. Yeah. That's who I meant. Yeah. That's who I meant. That's yeah. who I meant, not Elijah Wood. But, yeah, sorry. that's rubbish, that film. That's who I was picturing. I, I didn't mind okay. that, but I, I'm quite easy to please. You'll be surprised to hear. <laughs> All right. Um, on that note, if anyone's still listening... <laughs> who knew we were going to go here? <laughs> I told you it was a, a slow week. <laughs> <laughs> well, there's not many it's tournaments weird. coming up. It might be a full. It might be a full podcast of us talking about tennis. <laughs> tennis <laughs> I, I'm up for it. We should we should set it for like tennis. six weeks' time so we can yeah. do the homework. I, I'm not sure I'd have, have the prep time to do that in a week. I mean, you definitely wouldn't do the homework, George. If there's one thing I've learned about you, is that you don't. Um, if you're <laughs> listening back on uh, iTunes or on Spotify, please leave us a review and a rating. Make sure you subscribe so you don't miss us, or you can follow us on Twitter. At Love Tennis Pod, and at some point we'll tweet something interesting. Uh, been a pleasure, George. Bye, Calvin. Goodbye. See you guys. See you later, See you later guys. Thanks. Sports Social Podcast Network. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to. Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.